The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. I am Sai, and this is Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello. How are you, mate? I feel like you're introducing like a uh, like Punch and Judy puppet. <laughs> or like something whose hand on, is some... up your arse? <laughs> well, whose hand isn't? Um, you know, it's like a we're gonna <laughs> Everyone has to like take their turn, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's a big like war chart, yeah, a big calendar on the side of the wall by you, like <laughs> from Tuesday to Thursday, such and such. <laughs> oh god, that's that's why I haven't been able to shit right for a year. Yeah, um, there's always someone's fucking forearm in the way. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know where we're going to go with this. We said we're going to keep the bullshit to a minimum because we're tight on yeah. time this week, and we're already talking about me being took us twenty four seven. This took us 60 seconds. <laughs> because, because I made the mistake of mentioning Punch and Judy. Yeah. yeah. It's funny how the smallest little thing can just deviate our minds, isn't it? <laughs> the deviating deviants. Uh, <laughs> it's a better name than Brawling Brutes on, uh, on SmackDown. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. On today's show, we are looking at the very, very, very beginning the opening episode and then following opening story of Doctor Who. Um, uh, the Unearthly Child is the opener, isn't it, Dan? The very is, first it, episode. There's, sort of some, there's a little bit of, of dispute on this because it's called an unearthly child in a lot of places, but it's also called 100,000 BC. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's the split in the sort of UK, European and the American market. But everywhere I sort of looked at, it was just saying either Unearthly Child or 100,000 BC. And it, um, yeah, because I, I knew nothing about this. I'd seen Unearthly Child or, or bits of it before. Um, but I really wanted to go back and just sort of end our picks this season um, with where it all began. And it, I, I didn't quite, I never grasped just how sort of left, how sort of much of a left turn it took. You know, from, yeah. from being all about, you know, who is this mysterious young woman and a, and a weird uncle who live in a junkyard? You know, what is this? What, how did this step turn some bullshit end up where it does? Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It's, um, Unearthly Child, okay, episode one then, as, as we'll call it, the pilot, whatever. I've seen that numerous times because mm. it's one of those, it, it, you know, this show has been going 60 years. It's the very first episode. It's iconic, you know, so I've seen it quite a few times. It wasn't until probably when I first got BritBox, so easily within the last year or so or whatever, that I realized that there was more to this story. It wasn't a standalone episode and then something else happened. It was supposed to all be part of the same kind of serial, I guess. And it's strange because I still, it, I've watched it and then I've watched it again for our show today. 
But even watching it and knowing that it's, it's this four-episode story under the same banner and so on, it still feels like two completely separate stories. Yeah. I, th- I don't know if that's maybe on our part, just assuming you know, that we can't let go of the assumption that the first episode is just a pilot and then the rest is all tacked on. But it very much feels like here's the first episode of Doctor Who and here's a three-part story. Mm, yeah, but, the, but then they're all tied together with the undercurrent of the Doctor having to learn or, or come to terms with trusting Ian and Barbara. That's yeah. still that's still sort of the undercurrent, but they do feel like two very distinctive stories. Yeah, and I've got different feelings very much on that basis between the two, I suppose, the split of the story then. I, we'll start at the beginning, as of course we should. We've got a fantastic intro. I, I love the 60s black and white intros because they're so atmospheric and almost creepy, aren't they? They are, yeah. And I'll be honest, I'd forgotten the um, sort of the overlapping text as well. Yeah. You know, in the intro. But yeah, the, the music's very creepy. Um, but yeah, it's just a little bit spooky. And it's, it's one of those where the, the age of the effects isn't a hindrance. It's, it's, it almost helps it. Because mm. it is very basic and whatnot, but it doesn't. It still looks good for yeah. what it is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we get then the the iconic images, don't we? That have yeah. been recreated, I guess, on later episodes of Doctor Who, but are, are shown quite regularly on on Doctor Who documentaries and any mention of the show's history and so on. We have the policeman walking past the foreman scrap merchants at seventy six Totters Lane, and there's the TARDIS. And doesn't it yeah. just knowing this is the very first time? Obviously, people watching in '63 wouldn't get that, but mm. here in 2022, me watching, I got chills seeing that. It's not the first time seeing it for me, but it would have been the first time it was on television. Yeah, it's, it's a historic moment, and I just looked at it and thought, I'm sat there, you know, with my little smile on me, going, Oh, look at that, it's a yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody would know, uh, or maybe, but one thing that just popped into my head is. You know, police boxes were a thing. To see a mm. police box in a junkyard, maybe that did stick out to people back in the 60s. Maybe they were thinking, what's a police box doing in a junkyard? Mm, okay. So it could have, you know, that could have actually been like a moment of, you know, a moment of intrigue. I was going to say a moment of what the fuck, but intrigue sounded better. Um, <laughs> Got to make myself sound half intelligent sometimes. Um, but... Uh, just on the policeman, uh, the policeman was played by a fellow called Reg Cranfield, who worked on Doctor Who for thirteen years and uh, and took on nine uncredited roles. So he's one of the one of the very first uh, sort of unsung heroes of the show. Oh, why? That's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea. I just thought it was just a deed, you know. But knowing that he's he was in other roles as well, that's really cool. Yeah, the the very the very first um, the very first trope, <laughs> shall we say, yeah. Doctor Who. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. There's actually um, a familiar face that turns up later on, but we'll get there. Yes. Okay. Okay. No worries. Um, we then see Barbara and Ian, or who we know to become Barbara and Ian later on, because we don't know their names just yet, mm. talking about a pupil of theirs called Susan Foreman. She's 15, but an absolute bloody genius, and is she knows more than some of the teachers on certain aspects, but she also gets things a bit muddled at times. For example, they talk about... Um, the amount of shillings in a pound, I believe it was, and she thinks they're they've got decimalisation in place, which of course hasn't happened yet. 
Yeah, it was it was a good one. This because they were saying things like, um, you know, she lets her knowledge out a bit of a bit at a time, so as not to embarrass me. And he, you know, Ian admitting that she knows more science than he ever will. And then, yeah, the decimalization thing was actually really clever because you know Barbara's there saying she doesn't know about shillings and pounds and thought they had the decimal system. Decimalization didn't come into English law and become an actual thing until 1971. Yeah, and this was broadcasting '63. So I don't know if if it had been a topic of debate in you know in government or anything like that, but you know this was predicting something that had happened eight years later. Really, it's either ahead of its time or this is just something that was talked about and we don't know. Yeah, it's clever. I mean, obviously, in hindsight, now in the time we're in, it's extra clever because it came in, isn't it? But yeah, it's it's very good. It's very good. Uh, yeah, there's also is. the issue with the teachers saying that they want to help her and. Um, I suppose, work on certain aspects of her schooling that maybe there are a couple of holes in, but her grandfather won't let her work with the teachers at home. Now, I don't ever recall any teachers wanting to come to my house. This is the 60s, and, you know, we grew up in, um, well, you know, I went, to, I went to school in the 90s. I'm sure you went to school in the, the, late, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Well, not your six, I left so, school, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, by that point, the whole, you know, they've had the 80s and, and the whole, you know, the advent of the, you know, stranger danger and all of this. Right. The difference in schooling from, you know, the 60s into the 80s will have changed drastically. And, and you know, and it just went into the 90s because the only teacher that ever came to my house was my year five teacher, and that's because my mum was a childminder and looked after her kids. Okay. So there was so there was a reason to, for her to be at my house. You know, she wasn't just turning yeah. up, um, or you know, or any extra schooling outside of that. So yeah, I think that's just more a sign of the times than anything else. But it's it is also an extension of, of their duty of care. You know, the concern for a child's welfare, which I think I think even to this day, if there's concerns about a child's home life or welfare, um, teachers can you know, report that to the authorities, but obviously not go out of the way to uh, to go to someone's home. Yeah, but we do get that here, don't we? Because Barbara and Ian decide... <laughs> stalky, stalky. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit a little bit weird. They decide, you know what? She doesn't want us at her home. Her grandfather says he doesn't want us at their home. But we're going to go there anyway. We're going to follow yeah. her home. Because Ian and Barbara... Barbara <laughs> It's <laughs> sort Ian and Barbara, two grown adults, going to going to stalk and follow a fifteen year old. Mm, it's not. Again, in hindsight, it, it ain't a good look, is it? <laughs> not really. Not really. It's um, yeah, a bit um, a bit dodge. Yeah, but they do follow her back. Uh, I mean, the whole the thing that's sort of, I suppose, piques their curiosity or concern potentially is that Barbara has looked up the address that susan gives us her home and it is literally just a scrapyard so they're like okay well nobody's been living in a scrapyard so it kind of piques their interest as to what what's going on there i guess doesn't it it does and that you know added on with there are more examples of of susan being just hyper intelligent and clueless with other things she's you know being flashing back to you know litmus paper experiment which we all you know we all did at school and she's saying well it's you know, we want to do another experiment, but this is true. You know, she's saying it's child's play. You can't just use A, B, and C as three dimensions, and you need D and E. You know, you need five dimensions and all that. And yeah, 
you need to factor in time and space and thinking, what the hell? And the sum it up as saying, she's a 15-year-old who's brilliant with certain things and clueless on others, which, to be honest, just sounds like being a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> it, it is, but obviously she's a, a, a different type of teenager. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we see a little bit of a dance as well, which backs that up, don't we? Did kids do this in the 60s? She's got a little rage oh. open to her ear and just boogieing away on her own? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't a teenager in the 60s. Uh, well, this kid did anyway. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting uh, moment here as well, though, because when um, Ian and Barbara are talking to uh, to Susan at this point, before she leaves home, uh, leaves to go to her scrapyard home, and they're going to follow her, Susan actually calls Ian Mister Chester, but his name is Chesterton. Now, I'm assuming that either this wasn't picked up upon, or it's a case of we can't refilm this. We've got no money. Let's just go with it. <laughs> because after that, she does start referring to him as Mr. Chesterton, which is his, his proper scripted name. So, yeah, that was that was interesting for me. L- little from Columbia, little from Columbia, I think, on that. Yeah, there we go. It was a, yeah, it was a, a bit of an odd one, but not something I picked up on initially, to be honest. And I, I'd forgotten about it until he mentioned it. Okay. But, uh, when they actually get to the junkyard, the one that the line that sort of made me just chuckle and. and Think, oh, Ian, you fucking idiot! Was when he suggested was when he suggested that she might be sneaking into a junkyard to meet a boy. So, mm-hmm. really, a junkyard? Did you never sneak into junkyards to meet boys? No, nah, not me. To be no. fair, um, <laughs> no, never, never snuck, never snuck into a junkyard to meet anyone. Nah, you know, funny enough, I had such a deprived childhood. I've never snuck into a junkyard. Yeah, nor me actually. We used to like the weirdest places we'd go, like you know, the standard graveyard, and we'd all go get high and drink at the graveyard and stuff. But just looking back, you think to yourself, why did we do that? We could have like, just gone to someone's house and been warm. Yeah, but I suppose when it's outdoors, it feels rebellious. Well, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Definitely, you know, pissing on gravestones and whatnot, desecrating. Well, hang on, I didn't do that. I was just making an assumption. I was saying, what did you see if I got it right? <laughs> Whoa, I'd be too scared of ghosts coming to get me if I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Ghostly hand hand reaches up, grabs your knob and drags you to hell. Oh, mate. It's the best bit of action I've had in a long time, I'll tell you that. Anyway, um, (laughs) back at the graveyard, Ian and Barbara. Yeah, back at the junkyard. Sorry, Jesus. Back at the uh, junkyard, Barbara and Ian are sat in their car in full-on stalker teacher mode, sat there just waiting, peering at the gates when Susan arrives, goes into the scrapyard. Barbara and Ian, after a bit of a, a bit of a conversation, discussion about what they should do, head off to follow her into the scrapyard. And I know this is really strange, but this is, this is something, uh, uh, just on me. I always look on these early 60s TV programs at the cars and the windshields, the windscreens. Because right. normally these were filmed without windshields, because of reflections off the off the glass on the front of the car, and this was also done that way. This was filmed without a windscreen in the front of the car. So I, was, I don't know why I get a kick out of seeing stuff like that, but I think it comes from a story to do with Z cars. Some another series has lost numerous episodes to the the tape wiping exploits of the BBC. But when the radio used to go off on Z cars, sometimes they'd just out of force of habit, or just because it was just easier for them. 
the actors would sometimes forget and reach through what was supposed to be the windscreen to get the radio if they're on the outside of the car. <laughs> so I always end up looking if it's got if it's got glass in the windscreen. But yeah, uh, this hasn't, by the way. Uh, there you go. That's good to hear all that. Yeah, uh, Barbara and Ian, when they go into the scrapyard, they find what we know as the TARDIS, and they're uh, you know attracted to this because it's making a noise and when they touch it it's vibrating and so on and it's a police box inside and not connected to anything Mm. very strange yes and then a little old dude with white hair arrives who we assume is susan's grandfather don't forget the funny hat oh yes the funny little hat yes he's he's wearing i mean it's great isn't it because each doctor wears quirky clothes but this is the very first doctor yeah and he is wearing kind of quirky little clothes isn't he yeah, and it's it's very old fashioned looking as well. Even mm. for, you know, even for the sixties, he's sort of got this style of hat that I, I don't know where it's from. I don't know what type of hat it is or what. You know, he's got his hair coming out of the bottom and and all the rest of it. And he looks, he does look to all intents and purposes a bit mad scientistic. Yeah, yeah. But Ian and Barbara, I think, pick up different vibes as opposed to mad scientist vibes. I think Ian, Ian and Barbara effectively think the Doctor is a bit of a dunce. Yeah, the st- the stalkers of the fifteen year old girl are worried about the the grandfather of the fifteen year old girl being a toucher. Yeah, because they think that. Well, they hear Susan at one point, don't they? And they they assume that the doctor has locked her in this blue box. <laughs> yeah. Well, she went in. You didn't see him come out. You hear her voice from the TARDIS. The guy then, the doctor then appears. From the door you've just come through, there is no other way in or out as you've already established. So how the hell did he lock her in the box? Mm. It kind of it falls yeah. apart. It, it, Ian and Barbara said all falls apart with the slightest bit of thought, and it's then that it's about here that you know they you know Ian and Barbara emerge and doctors basically ascertaining that they're not police and you know they're basically spying. Ian and Barbara voice the concern. And we get that it's the first instance of the Doctor and Ian just having this interminable, dull sort of power trip between the two, you know, sort of vying yeah. for supremacy, you know, almost alpha male bullshit between him, between them, where they're both insisting they're right and having a, just a sort of handbag, like verbal handbags, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this goes on, especially in the first season of Doctor Who, quite a bit. And it works quite well in some stories. And then it adds to when the Doctor almost accepts Ian in other stories and so on as well. But there's also moments where, and I think this is something that happens a great deal when we get into the the sort of 1000 BC aspect of the story. So much of it goes on and it takes too long and it's drawn out and, and it kind of drags. Yeah, it's and it's just childish argument. They go back and here, you know, they go back and forth here. Um, you know, they say they've got a duty of care and doesn't understand the doctor's attitude. And, and doctor, oh, yours leaves a lot to be desired. So when mm. you open the door, there's nothing in there. What are you afraid to show us? Afraid of go away, you know, and stuff like that. And saying, yeah. you know, why won't you help us? Well, I'm not hindering you. If you want to make fools of yourself, I suggest you do what you said you do. Go and find a policeman. And yeah, you know, the, then say, you know, Dean says, well, I'll do that then. And Doctor's fine. I'll stay here and see your face when you come back. I know I you are, but what am I? 
Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, go on. Go on then, dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> from both of you. can't get mad. Not touching yeah. you, can't get mad. Yeah, we had, had like an inch from your, you know, half an inch from yeah. your face. It's, it's a bit pathetic and, and beneath both of them, really. But the Doctor is just needlessly belligerent, but also Ian just will not accept what he's seeing at times. Mm. He will not accept what his eyes and ears and, and all his senses are telling him. It's, it's, it just makes them both bloody annoying for a lot of yeah, this. Yeah, it does. Serial. It does, to be fair. Uh, eventually, Ian and Barbara do enter the TARDIS, and we get the very first ever, whoa, it's it's bigger on the inside moment. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's awesome. It's so good. And I wonder, again, what it was like for those people watching this very, very first episode seeing that happen because i suppose we obviously we know what goes on but when people are watching it for the first time in 1963 they i imagine they would be leaning towards ian and barbara when it comes to the kind of mini conflict they're having mm. because there's this cranky weird little old dude who lives in a, a junkyard who's p- potentially got a 15 year old girl stored away somewhere yeah and yeah, then they potential. walk through the door, yeah. And then they walk through the door, and all of a sudden, boom! There's this big, bright white spaceship. Effectively, that first ever reveal must have been t- to kids watching in '63. It must have been a real take your breath away moment, Dan. I think. Oh, absolutely, Mom, I, I remember the first time I saw the TARDIS bigger on the inside. Admittedly, it was watching the Doctor Who movie, but it, you know, even that sort of thing blew my mind then. You know, just mm. the concept of it. So. Yeah, it must have been absolutely brilliant. But again, it's ruined by the Doctor being just a belligerent shithead. Yeah. Just, you know, Barbara says, why didn't you tell us you were a grandfather? Why didn't you just say, so I don't discuss my private life with strangers? You know, yeah, and, like then, such a weird... and, and basically saying that Ian doesn't deserve an explanation to the, you know, the size disparity, you know, bigger on the inside, because they entered uninvited and unwelcome. Mm. And then just insist that they won't understand. Ian calls it illusion, an illusion, and then the doctor gets all sanctimonious and shitty about it. You, um, you know, they say you can't fit an enormous building into one of your smaller sitting rooms. No, but you've discovered television, haven't you? Then by showing an enormous building on your screen, you can do what seemed impossible, couldn't you? And it's a really clumsy sort of comparison, really, because you know we're not talking about. <laughs> Tina TV on the screen. We're talking about genuinely bigger on the inside. Yeah, it's 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 a description of the TARDIS, the, the sort of different scale on the inside to the outside that I don't think we ever hear again. And I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, because it's shit. Yes. Um and it's much easier to say it's a it's basically a demand, dimension unto itself. Mm. But again, just ruined by the dialogue and the Doctor just being a turd. It's like yeah. it, 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 he's the type of the, this version of the doctor is the type of person who'd walk into say a supermarket, go up to get go up to like the deli counter and just say ham. <laughs> and I've dealt yeah. with these people. So what kind of ham? That one. Like you, which one? You've got to say the name or point to it. Like that one there. Like okay, yeah. when you just flick your finger out dead quick, which one? Where? Use your words. Come on, give me I a believe- clue, meet me halfway. And then when you finally get what they want, they just, they'll just roll their eyes and say, was it really that difficult? Yeah, yeah. Exactly those sort of vibes, totally. Uh, the, the, 
I don't know where I read this. It might be this. I, I got this big, thick Doctor Who book that was kind of given to me by a friend whose mum passed away and she was massively into Doctor Who and it's full of all your facts and all this sort of stuff mm. and like little stories from producers and directors about the making of it and all that sort of great stuff. Uh, it might be in there, but somewhere I read that one of the initial ideas for the show was that Ian was going to be the hero and right. the doctor was going to be this kind of weird, almost untrustworthy guy who was dragging the humans through time and space. And all that sort of stuff was kind of discussed as being a potential, a potential way that the show was going to be scripted. I don't know how accurate that is or if it ever came into uh, fruition or anything, but when you see this pilot episode and then the episodes that follow on from it, it does kind of make sense a little bit. Mm. Yeah, it does. It does. It's very much positioning the Doctor as an abrasive character and Ian just trying to get to the bottom of it. But then Ian's saying, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's an illusion and it's just denying what he's seeing, that it's bigger on the inside. Mm. Just have a bit of wiggle room in your thinking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just, it, although he does sum it up brilliantly when they're going through it. You know, Susan made up the acronym for the TARDIS Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Um Ian just sums it up as it's a police box in a junkyard that can move anywhere in time and space. Ridiculous. Yeah. And the doctor finally, <laughs> the doctor, the doctor finally agrees. And he's like, yes, it is ridiculous, but in a sort of wonderful, you know, in a, in a happy, wonderful way. Yeah. But then the, we get, um, a sign of the time, shall we say, um, when the doctor compares Ian and Barbara as seeing the TARDIS for the first time to native Americans seeing a steam train for the first time. Yeah, there's a lot of this, isn't there, with regards yeah. to, oh, you silly old girl, oh, you, you know, oh, you young girls don't understand this, oh, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And condescending. It, yeah, it comes up a great deal, especially in the first, the first few stories in in Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, and we saw it when we looked at the Dalek invasion of Earth on our last season of our show, but Barbara almost defied those kind of. You know, discriminatory comments, I guess, with some of her actions during that story, which yeah. was great. In this one, I don't think they kind of get to do that. I think it is just always a case of, oh, leave the women to it. We'll go do the important kind of, kind of wording. Basically, yeah, it is very much damsel in distress all the time mm. and all the other shit. But following on from that, Ian's saying he's not, you know, he's not happy at being treated like a child of the doctor, just feign, you know, feigns ignorance. Like, oh, am I? The children in my civilization would be insulted. You know, as if he's treating <laughs> him as less than child. I thought that was a pretty good burn, even though I didn't like mm. most of the bickering. Ian, yeah. Ian questions the phrasing of it. And then the doctor came out with a great line that very much sums up my feelings. I tolerate this century, but I don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's brilliant if that isn't a fucking mood <laughs> the doctor does basically well the doctor but uh susan sorry and so on basically explain that they're aliens and cut off from their own planet and traveling and all this sort of stuff and barbara basically just dismisses it as oh you're playing a game <laughs> yeah like, we talk about ian not being able to believe what he's seeing it's just like she's actually trying to convince susan it's all a fabricate fabrication by her grandfather yeah it's just like, for yeah. God's sake. But then the doctor locks him in and decides to kidnap him, basically. Yeah, so, so far, if anyone's, you know, keeping count on their Doctor Who pod bingo card, we've got 
teachers stalking kids, old men in graveyards acting a bit noncy and locking them up in a blue junkyard. Sorry, and locking them <laughs> up in a blue box. Uh, and now we've got the old man who we're led to believe at the start might be a bit of a nonce kidnapping the stalkers. Is that right? Have I got that correct so far? And taking the fifteen-year-old with him. Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Quite a quite when you put it like, when you put beginning. It, when you put it like that, it sounds dodgy and ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it, but I've got to be honest. I've got, I've got to be honest. This, sorry, sorry to jump ahead, but we get this whole thing about where there's a bit of an argument about you know what whether they should be doing it and all the rest of it and, and all that, and then the TARDIS takes off. We get some comedy falling down acting, yeah, and like a plinky plonky xylophone sort of soundtrack. Then we hear the iconic TARDIS whooshing noises, but then in a picture of glorious 60s crap effects, we get the zooming out of one section of London that's effectively been drawn on a piece of paper. And it zooms out as if they're taking off yeah. in the TARDIS. I loved it so much. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely I loved it so fantastic. much. And then we get this weird sort of early representation of the of the vortex that's layered over very confused looking faces that was blatantly extended the shot for time. Mm. I just, yes, love it, love everything about it. What I really, really enjoyed. Well, first of all, you mentioned the comedy falling down. The one that really stood out for me on that was how slowly Ian fell. It, it was very him. careful. Oh. He did not want to crease his cardigan, did he? He was falling as slowly as he possibly could. <laughs> it was everything about it. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it you know, was, we, right? we, it we was. take we take the rough with the smooth on this show, and everything everything we mock or laugh at, it's done from a place of genuine love and joy, and that really did just make me happy. It's, it's yeah. the equivalent of seeing the um, the spaceship on a string when we did Dalek Invasion of Earth. Oh yeah, and it's slightly wobbly as it goes across the screen. Yeah, and you can see the tinfoil coming off it and all the rest of it. <laughs> I love oh, it. But, brilliant. And then we, we don't quite get a quarry, but we no. see another sort of drawn or painted background on the on the scanner. Ian and Barbara are unconscious. The TARDIS appears to be in a sandpit, and we have a mysterious shadow to end on a cliffhanger. See, this was it for me. This was the moment where I just thought, why? That's how... That This is why the show took off from this very early episode because that's that, that's your cliffhanger isn't it that's the very first cliffhanger in doctor who the tardis has landed in this sandy rough looking area and then that shadow creeps across this you know and it's just mm. everything about it was just so atmospheric and creepy and intriguing and it made me maybe i'm already thinking i would 100 percent watch next week what is going on here yeah it's 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 brilliant it really is. They've done the whole. They've drawn out the intrigue and built it up with the with the whole thing. You know, who who is this genius? Who is this genius girl? Mm. Why is she living in a junkyard with a granddad? Who is this mad scientist looking belligerent dickhead who's just kidnapped these people? Then they've smacked <laughs> they've smacked they've smacked you in the face with this police box being bigger on the inside. Mm. They've had the whole you know taking off from Earth and where the hell are they now? And then you see the shadow, and it, the shadow was really well done. Yeah. I thought it looked brilliant, and yeah, it, it just it dragged you in perfectly for all its faults, and you know, for all we can mock the uh, you know how things look with uh, with twenty twenty two eyes, um, they did a they did an excellent job. Yeah, I mean, to, to summarise that first episode, because I feel that that was 
that was the historic thing that we were looking to cover for this episode of our podcast. What mm. follows is, I think, one of those subjects where we're going to sort of bounce around a little bit within the story just and to sort of summarize over. But that very first episode, it, it's historic. It's fantastic. It, okay, it, it's 60-year-old television. You're going to get this for sure. But I bloody loved it. And I would go back and watch that again and again. I think that is the very beginning of a show I love. I would watch yeah. that over again. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, they did a good job with it. It's it's not the best bit of television I've ever seen, but because it's so historic, because there's so much in it that's iconic, and like you say, because it's the start of something that we love, you kind of have to you have to watch it. And it's it's an episode that I'd have to recommend going forward when it's all caveman politics and, and running around a little bit. Probably less so, mate. Honestly. How did they stretch uh, this over three episodes? That's what I was about to say. It, it effectively... Uh, to summarise the next three, there are going to be other bits we're going to be talking about, of course. But what effectively happens over the next 90 minutes of television? Uh, roughly? Give or seven, take, yeah, no, yeah, 70 to 90 minutes. Yeah. Effectively what happens is there's cavemen arguing amongst who is their leader. They yeah. need to make fire. They capture the Doctor and his companions. The Doctor and his companions say they will make fire. The Doctor and his companions escape. They then recapture the Doctor and his companions, put them back in this cave. The Doctor and his companions say they will make fire. They then escape. And, and that basically just, just, just you know, copy and repeat for 90 minutes. And, yeah. and that's it, isn't it, really? It is. Although the opening to episode two had a lot of um, opportunity for penis jokes. So mm. I was quite happy with the first sort of five minutes because as we open, <laughs> as, uh, we will bounce around, but as we open up into episode two, we see, you know, who, you know, who the shadow is and it's a dirty bearded man wearing a fur coat. Um, right, hang on a second. Hang on. There's something very, very important to note about this man. He's obviously a caveman. He's scruffy as hell. His hair's all over the place and everything like that. But his mustache is the most neatly trimmed thing I've ever seen. I didn't clock that. And it was just so out of place for what he was supposed to be. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and see that now. That's brilliant. It's like his moustache is like the top part of his beard across there. Obviously, that works really well on an audio podcast, but, you know, yeah. it's all so neatly trimmed and everything. It's just like, yeah, mate, you're supposed to be all scraggly and rough and smelly and stuff, aren't you? I, I've got a feeling that he had the moustache first and then they just glued on the, uh, uh, okay. the scraggly pube beard. Yeah, that makes sense. To be fair, yeah. Yeah, but it cuts. Sorry, from, carry on anyway. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. It cuts. It cuts from. Uh, it cuts from there to uh, to the rest of the tribe in a cave, and we we meet Zar for the first time. And did you recognise Zar? No. That is uh, Zar is played by Derek Newark, who was Greg Sutton in Inferno. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, and I bet you what, I, I, I bet you what, that makes no sense. I tried, to, I tried to say, and I bet you, and I tell you what, at the same time, and it didn't come out right. And I'll tell you what, I bet when we covered Inferno, you told me that dude was probably in this then. Probably, can't remember, forgot to look back over my notes, but there yeah. we go. Um, but anyway, we we cut to the cave, it's it's full of, uh, you know, all the men, women and children, and Zaz just sat in the middle of them rubbing his bone. Yes, uh, try, I've got a note about that. <laughs> as he's trying to make fire, uh, there's an older woman there saying it's better to live without, and Zaz Zaz failing as his bone rubbing his bone isn't working. It happens to every caveman, I'm sure. Just try again it in does. a few minutes. Yeah. Um, 
the other, you know, this old woman doesn't know the secret, and it's you know making him angry, and she's she's basically trying to basically trying to say oh, fire will be the downfall of us all, you know, typical very typical sort of skeptic. Um, the, and again, this is where all the politics comes in because there's a rival for leader called Cal, and you know he's out hunting and bringing meat while Zaz just sat there rubbing his bone. Yeah. Um, but he says, you know, without meat we go hungry, without fire we die. So, well, the old men don't see beyond tomorrow's meat, giggity. Um, <laughs> and they'll uh, they'll make Cal leader, and, and Zar just goes back to rubbing his bone, pulling questionable faces. Mm. And then he breaks sticks and, and asks them where the fire has gone. <laughs> Which was very Aww. comedy, and I just had to get all those um, all those rubbing bone jokes out. Yes, indeed. Um, there's a few interesting things here going on with the, I suppose, the TARDIS crew, for want of a better term, that I think kind of get left behind in early Doctor Who and not really used in later series. I mean, first of all, we have the Eurometer, which apparently says zero. So they, the Doctor is saying they have definitely left 1963. The Doctor also says he needs samples of plants and rocks and soil to determine exactly where they are. That obviously is something that doesn't really come up much as we progress through the years, does it? No, not at all. Particularly when you get into the new Who era and, and David Tennant can like taste the air, lick his finger, hold it to the air and say, all right, we're on this planet at this time and whenever. Yeah. Um, now, maybe this is because this is the first Doctor and it's his first time out in the world, you know, out in the universe, and he still wants to do these things despite having the scientific instruments in the TARDIS. He doesn't quite trust them. Mm. You know, again, he thinks he knows better. Um, Ian still won't buy that they've moved at all. He's not having it. Fucking knob. It's like, come on, Ian, man. Just open your eyes. Look around. You're not in a bloody you're scrap. In a, you're in a, a scrap. Yeah, no, you're in a sandpit. Yeah. Although the doctor does bring up the scanner and it shows a quarry. So chop this off your doctor who pod bingo card. Yes, indeed. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, it's... Again, it, you know, it's more of that. They're the finally going outside. They have an extended... A lot of it's very extended, you know, saying they open the doors till it's safe and they're, they're going around reading the air and the radiation. But he's taking his Geiger counter anyway. And that, but the name dropped that and then it's never used. Mm-hmm. But one thing that, did, that I did like um, was the doctor said to Ian, if you could touch the alien sand and hear the cries of strange birds and watch them wheel in another sky, would that satisfy you? Yeah, I thought that was about, it's like, what will it take to get you to shut the fuck up? Yeah, that that's effectively like, <clears throat> I suppose, Gallifrey and for have a look about you, knobhead. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I did notice: the TARDIS door opens, and they'd gone to the effort of at least putting a um, a paint, you know, a painted bit of set and some sand mm-hmm. around, so that yep. we actually saw the outside from uh, from inside the TARDIS, which incredibly rarely happens. Yeah, that was a thing that um, was a budget issue. Early on in Doctor Who in the 60s and so on, that is what they did. They would have shots where the door opens and you could see basically a painting or a background or whatever through the door uh, rather than just having it on the scanner. Eventually, they decided we don't have to do that. We can Mm. just open the doors, have them run out and just show maybe a still on the scanner, if anything at all. So that was another issue. Because, you know, Doctor Who always had, you know, budget issues right from the start. So that was a way of them trying to save money in the long term, I, I read. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think I've read that as well, but it makes sense. It's nice to see it here, but it's not, it wasn't 100% necessary going forward, mm. in fairness. Um, 
another we get we sort of move quickly to another iconic thing, and that's the concept of the chameleon circuit, you know, the camouflage. Yes. Where Susan's wondering why the TARDIS hasn't changed, and she says, Oh, it's been an ionic column and a sedan chair and all that. And Bar- for some reason, for Barbara's fully accepted this now. She's like, Oh, we've moved. Oh, it's shit, it wasn't a uh, fabrication by a granddad. This is real. Um and she picks up that idea pretty quickly. But I really enjoyed seeing the uh, the origin of the chameleon circuit. And then Barbara just <laughs> just picks up a skull and wants to take it to the doctor. Like, I've I've got a thing, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> she's keen to help mate and she's open-minded she's keen to help yeah you know she needs to Finally. go and have a chat with her mate ian don't she and open his mind up a little bit because he's still being a bit of a novice it's, it's, he's moping around because he's wrong at this point yeah so and, yeah. and it, now he's whinging because he, they don't know the doctor's name because they've already called him dr foreman several times because of the name on the you know the, the front of the junkyard yep and he's not responding to i'm not dr foreman but he doesn't bother saying it's just the doctor because you know that would make it too easy for everybody involved Twat. yeah <laughs> uh, the doctor does say well, why hasn't it changed it's still a police box why hasn't it changed and susan comments on that as well uh, again this was apparently a cost-cutting measure by the bbc for the show because mm-hmm. when doctor who was first being produced and commissioned it was going to have a working chameleon chip it was going to be changing each show and then there was even thoughts about it potentially being invisible but the blue box was settled upon probably because that was the box that they'd already purchased for one episode. Mm. We'll stick with that, save us a few quid. So Brilliant. <laughs> that, Love it. That iconic blue box was literally a case of the BBC going, Do you know what? It's just cheaper to say some it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, well it costs too much. <laughs> it yeah. costs too much, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Uh the doctor is jumped by a caveman uh, as he's smoking his pipe. Oh, I... oh, yeah. <laughs> Susan is hysterical here, screaming and shouting. That was annoying. Oh, was it ever? My goodness. And then she finds his notebook and says that he would never leave his notebook lying around. He'd always have it with him. And imagine he's just, just gone for a piss. Again. Yeah. No, he's just, oh, Susan, I'm just by the back of this tree, love. Don't worry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to find a good rock to put me back up against while I squat down. Yeah, you know, stop all that wailing. I'm having trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm dropping a turdis. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Poo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a Twitter account out there that's sort of like Dr. Poo and the turdis. So great credit to them because I, I, it was something I discovered in uh, when I went to Chester a couple of months back. Um, they've got the. Um, a museum on like medieval medicine but it's all it's all done sort of very interactive and really well laid out in an old church and part of that when it gets to sort of the middle ages it starts talking about the digestive system and disposal of waste and all that and they had like a little uh a little dunny that you could open up sit down and it was dr Pooh taking trips through time in the turdis finding Amazing. out about how disposal of waste and, and and all matters relating to shit uh, like throughout the ages brilliant I, I every time we go past like uh you know like a, a workman you know building or whatever and they got the portal there i always put it out to our lives and go hey live look dr Pooh and the turdis and it was funny it, it was funny back in the day but now it's been going on for about three years every single time she just gets really cross about it now. <laughs> which is insane for you oh of course i get a great kick out of it but anyway <laughs> yeah well we all let's not tell the story about the uh the the uh, the, the shaved coconut the shaved coconut 
that you once gave your lad. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You can you can hear about that on uh, the best of the first year of chain wrestling life. That's yeah. That's not that story. Still makes me laugh. But anyway, <laughs> I told it to a friend, told it to a colleague of mine, and she was nearly sick. <laughs> yeah, it has that effect on everyone else in my house. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, talk, going back to people with crusty feet, um, yes. the cave. Uh, we get more caveman politics, which is about all I can say for the next few minutes of of, of this episode because it's just Zara and Carl talking shit to each other mm. until they bring the doctor in, and then, like you said before, this is sort of an extended argument about the doctor promising fire. And you know, the, sorry, the doctor's unconscious, and Cal's saying, you know, the doctor will bring fire; he'll give it to me, and I'll be leader, and all that. But this goes on for ages. Yeah, does it ever? And the doctor, the doctor finally wakes. It's about five minutes. The doctor wakes up finally, and then he's lost his matches, and he's can't make fire without it. Mm. But then at that point, somehow, uh, Ian, Barbara, and Susan have found them all, and, and Susan just launches herself onto Cal's back. You know, trying to fight for the doctor, and it's it's a really, really crap little tussle. Yeah, I mean, also that's quite dangerous. You just walked into effectively the home of this group of people that are all armed, and mm-hmm. you jump on someone's back and start attacking. I mean, we discovered this when we did our William Hartnell story for our first season of our podcast. But even here, right from the very first serial, Susan's a bloody liability, isn't she? Yeah, she can be. Um, It'd have been a very short character arc if she'd have jumped on Cal's back and one of his tribe just brained her with a with an axe or <laughs> you know so that would have been uh, that definitely been uh, been left field. Yes, <laughs> but, but I mean that eventually results in taking us to the, the cliffhanger on episode two, doesn't it? Because they're they're told take them to the cave of skulls as their punishment. They're going to get put in this cave, and whilst there the doctor and Barbara and Ian and Susan noticed that all the skulls around them in this cave where they're almost like a, I suppose a, a, a caveman prison is where they're holding them prisoner. I guess all of the skulls have been split open in the same place. So it's yeah. obviously their way of being bumped off and then the music hits and that's the end of episode two. Yeah. I mean, and that's after, just before that, we've got a whole thing about the, the tribe arguing about what they should do. Mm. The doctors basically said, without Ian, there's no fire, and, you know, keep them all alive, we'll give you fire, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got one of the elders talking about giving his daughter away to Zar, and she's sort of arguing with it, saying, um, you know, uh, Zar will remember and, and always give you meat. So basically saying, trade me for meat. Yeah. You can have my daughter for a sausage. Or- basically, Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here's some, here's, here's some bacon. Can I have, can I have your daughter? Yeah. And this guy's going, yeah? Yeah, signed. Is, fucking, is it Fit mental. Cat Bacon? Is it Fit Cat? Yep, crack, crack on, pal. Away you go. Smoked. <laughs> Smoked. You can have both of them. <laughs> oh, but, then we've, but then we've got this older woman again saying there were leaders before fire. Fire will kill us all in the end. Like, You're fucking dumb monger. Yeah, just stop it. You know, She's not- never happy. But I mean, I suppose it's that thing. <laughs> why, do, why do old people always think it was better back in the old days? Well, this is it. I mean, to be fair, I do look back on the nineties and think, yeah, I'd rather. Yeah, but the nineties were better. 
Yeah, well, there we we're both doing it now. Look. We're doing the yeah, cave woman no, no, equivalent. No, 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 I, was I was deliberately being a hypocrite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're effectively now doing the old woman version of we. You know, I don't want fire. As in, we want to go back to the days of Two Unlimited and Links Africa. <laughs> yeah, I want all that. I want all that, but with Wi-Fi. Yes, yes. <laughs> to be able to listen to Two Unlimited Nice Space and order yeah. your Links Africa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to go back to the days of having to go to the shop to pay to put ten pound on my mobile. Oh yeah, that was ballache, wasn't it? And you can only have a certain number of um, contacts in your phone. So if you made like an, another mate, you had to choose which one you were deleting. Oh, that was never a problem. Never had many friends. Uh, okay. Duh. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> episode three. <laughs> yes, as the tribe sleeps, the old woman takes a rock knife weapon like i looked at that it, it looks it looks like a random rock mm. it doesn't but look like a knife, it as it's a knife. But, it, but it maybe had one slightly serrated edge mm. they i think yeah. part of the issue here isn't that they need fire i think part of the issue here is that they need better craftsmanship yeah but you know the cavemen well still you know get on with it what, what else you got to do yeah i mean this is the first point as well where the, the tardis crew were all trying to escape Mm-hmm. They can feel a draft, which means there's an opening somewhere. Ian's having a whinge at the doctor to help. And the doctor says, well, why don't you, you know, he's an old man. But he says, you know, why don't you use the bones? You know, they'll be sharper and you can cut the ties, you know, and all of that. Yeah. And the doctor actually has a final, there's a moment of humility where he says, he's got to free Ian first because he's the strongest and he can defend them. Yeah. Which again, logically, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, her, who is the old man's daughter who is the prize for a, a, a i don't know a bag of mints and a pack of sausages or something i'm not quite sure <laughs> never, but, no, trading, <laughs> trading a navvy's breakfast for his daughter yeah uh, her name is her um she wakes up czar and tells him that yeah <laughs> oh yeah um <laughs> he, he she wakes up czar and tells him that the old woman is heading towards the, the 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 cave of skulls with i think it's actually his knife she has took isn't it Yes. Yeah. Okay. Or as, as I put it in my notes, because uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't remember a name at that point. I put uh, "new wife wakes up and points out old woman is taking his rock and fucked off." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Zar decides then if he stops the old woman killing the doctor and his companions, they will be grateful and they will then make fire for him. But the woman is actually going there to free the doctor as opposed to kill them. And this made me laugh because, like, well, I can feel a draft. There must be an opening somewhere. And this old woman just walks in. So, oh, maybe it's through the, that very obvious, yeah, you know, very light smattering of bushes and sticks. Perhaps it's that big fucking hole over there that is person-sized. Yeah. <laughs> that conveniently <laughs> sized gap between two rocks that yeah. even I could walk through. It's, it's, it's a bit daft. It's a bit daft. Uh, Zar arrives and pushes the old woman down to the floor after the doctor, Barbara, and Ian and Susan have basically been let free, haven't they? And they're then running through the forest. And the running scene here is 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 just fantastic. Oh, sixties running at its finest. It, it's borderline Scooby Doo. Yeah, and they're they're basically running on the spot, aren't they? With a camera in front of their face, and they're making out that they're running through bushes and the forest by just hitting them with a bit of hedge. You know, <laughs> <laughs> privet slap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
uh, Hart, no, uh, sorry, the doctor is is still arguing with Ian as they're running. And then Barbara falls over, lands on a dead animal, screams, and gives away where they are. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then you hear a roar in the distance as well. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah, so. And they even say, uh, Zao was saying, of, if they run, the beast will kill them and all that. And yeah, apparently there's something out there. And but even with this, you know, they hear a roar, and you know, every, everybody should be should be duly scared mm-hmm. at this point. The doctor's knackered, basically because he's old, and the doctor's again insecure and whinging, and that Ian appears to have elected himself leader and saying, "I won't follow orders blindly." But blah, blah, blah. Mm. in fact, you know what it is? The doctor is the same is the same type of person who say, "I'm not wearing a mask." Yeah, it's my human. It's my human right not to. Exactly. Like, for God's sake! And it, he has the nerve to call Ian a tiresome young man, and he just he just cracks back with it. You're a stubborn old man. <laughs> but again, very oh. childish. I know you are, but what am I? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we get an issue here as well. That big roar that we hear. Zara's attacked and quite badly hurt by a big animal, isn't he? As the as he sort of tracks down the doctor and his companions in the forest after Barbara's scream basically said, here we are over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, <laughs> Ian helps Zar and, and Barbara also helps Zar with his injuries, which kind of, I suppose, builds a little bit of a bond between them, I guess. This shows the difference in the doctor though, over the years and the decades, because now and for a long time, the doctor has been very much save every life possible mm. in this one. In this first episode, our first serial, he actually moans that they're going to help Zar. He says he actually says they must be out of their minds. Mm. Yeah, he's only concerned with saving his own ass. Exactly. Uh, we also get the first appearance of the wet hanky that obviously helped out a great deal with the corpse water in the Dalek invasion of Earth. The wet hanky here does the trick with Zar's injuries. So the precursor yeah. to the magic sponge in football. Yeah, that, that 60s medicine was superb. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, the old woman who was pushed to the floor by Zar is waking up and she's greeted by Cal in the in the cave of skulls. And Cal just kills her. Because he's gonna tell the story that Zar let the people go because he doesn't want the Kate the, the, the tribe to have fire, I think. But he's trying to manipulate the situation so that he looks awesome and that Zar Zar comes out of this situation looking like the dickhead, doesn't he? Caveman politics. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but before this, before this, there's a great exchange between the Doctor and Barbara. Um, because the Doctor shoots down the idea of, of that Susan puts forward of befriending, befriending Ian and Barbara. And she, Barbara just looks and says, why do you treat everyone, everybody and everything as something less important than yourself? You know, why? And he says, you, you're trying to say everything you do is reasonable and everything I do is inhuman. Well, I'm afraid your judgment is at fault, Miss Wright, not mine. Have you realised that if these two people could follow us, any of these people could follow us? Um, you know, basically saying that they're knackered if the tribe wake up. Yeah. But even even when he's trying to point out that he's not all bad, he still comes across as a knob. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And again, uh, obviously the first Doctor is known for being grumpier and a bit more... I suppose d- difficult to get along with. I guess is one way of wording it. Abrasive. Yeah. Okay. Abrasive. That's good. Yeah. That's 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 great. That's how I describe him. Yeah. That's spot on. And again, my mind comes back to: was it done this way because they wanted Ian to be the main yeah. guy? 
it's just, that's what just my mind keeps popping. I'm, I may be, I may be a hundred miles away from the actual reason, but that's just kind of what keeps popping back into my head. Yeah, it's kind of the only only explanation because even then, you know, they're getting a, a stretcher to get Zar to the TARDIS. Um, you know, you'd say they don't understand kindness or friendship, but the, the cavemen don't. Um, and they're trying to, they're trying to, and they need help off the Doctor. And, and Ian says to him, when you give us a hand, and he just stands there. And Barbara says he's always like this when he doesn't get his own way. And I, I've just got in my notes like, what a dick. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's exactly. Just... <laughs> the doctor steps in, he grabs a rock, and Ian stops him because he thinks he's going to kill Zion. He says, "You don't expect you don't expect me to carry him, do you?" And Ian sort of claps back with, "Do you want the women to do the work for you?" You know, as if that's you know, as if that's some sort of insult, but it's just like. Mm. For God's sake, just more bickering. Like I say, this, this, these three episodes are bickering than caveman politics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, it's make us fire, run away, capture them. Make us fire, run away, yeah. capture them. Oh, one fire. thing I did want, one thing I did want to say though, with with the attitude of, of the Doctor in this first episode, um, I thought they did a great job in the Capaldi era when uh, when David Bradley's playing the first Doctor, and he keeps saying very outdated things yes and like the doctor and the doctor's looking on horrified he's like god did i used to be like that and yeah. bill's looking at him saying really really yeah really good <laughs> really good stuff I, I, I did love that as a, as, a, as a bit of a callback and something else i noticed tying into the um the the, uh, the peter capaldi bill serial uh, series is that cal actually looks quite like the master's disguise yeah, okay. In uh, in Bill's final episodes, you know, when um, they brought John Sim back. Mm. Yeah, John Sim and Missy both playing the master. Yeah. Yeah, thought Calv looked very much like his disguise. Yeah. Actually. I don't know if that was intentional or what, but it's, uh, it's a oh, nice I hope, little... Things like that, I hope are intentional, you know. Yeah. I mean, it'd be completely pointless. They don't, they don't connect in any way because when John Sim's hiding out, he's on a 400-mile-long spaceship that's getting pulled into a black hole. And he's he's a part of a thing that's making Cybermen. It has no connection with this episode at all. <laughs> yeah, so it probably is just a coincidence. <laughs> but still, we get to the uh, we we get to a final we get to another cliffhanger um, when yeah. the TARDIS crew are getting back to the uh, to the TARDIS, and the tribe are all there surrounding them, and that's when the Doctor died. <laughs> uh, it's just. Again, this is the thing that they're running and now they're caught again. So they're going to get took back to the cave and they've got to try and escape so they can run again. And effectively, what I've just done there is summarize the whole of episode four. That, that's basically it. Yeah. It's, it's not know? great. You do get a moment that's a bit brutal, mind. I mean, obviously, Cal is trying to say that Zar killed the old lady. And mm. is at fault for the doctor and the, the people who can make fire escaping and so on. Uh, the doctor says, though, it has no blood on Zar's knife, but Cal's knife does. So this is like Stone Age CSI, I guess. <laughs> Crime Stone investigation. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> uh, the doctor and Ian decide then it's time to start driving Cal out of the tribe and just start lobbing rocks at him. <laughs> yeah. So this is not how I wanted to get stoned. <laughs> no, my God, that was a bit. But that's, that's, I, obviously... how they, that's how they ostracised people, you know. Yeah, oh, man. Um, the tribe then. Cal is not Sorry. stronger than the whole tribe. This is it. 
this is it. The tribe then take the doctor and their comp- his companions back to the cave of skulls again because we haven't it, seen it that for no last time. It makes no sense. Why have they put? Why have they put them back in prison? A prison that they've already escaped from once, and there's a big hole in. Yeah, but now they've got a guard on the door. Mm, well, that's the one door. The big hole, I think, is still unguarded, isn't it? No, the, the big stone gets put over the main door. Oh the yeah, of course. Yeah. The back door's the back door's guarded. But yeah. again, this all comes down to you know her's trying to argue and say you know Zar killed the beast and the Tardis beast and the Tardis crew saved him and tended his wounds. Think think Ian's called friend, which is yeah. quite funny. I thought that was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And it's still in it's still at the level of Zar needs to make fire or, or risk being killed by by the rest of the tribe. Mm. I mean, we do get to a scene where friend, as they're calling him, uh, but Ian is making fire in the cave and Zar sees this. Yeah. But Ian making the fire, it, it looks like shit. It's, it's, it's never going to work the way he's doing it. It looks crap, doesn't it? it yeah. We've had Zara rubbing his bone, and now we've got Ian rubbing his stick. Yeah, um, he's, that's it. <laughs> Zara yeah. asks Ian if he is the leader, and Ian says no, the Doctor is. And I thought that was a really, after all the shitty rambling arguments of the last few episodes, I thought that was quite a nice moment there, because it kind of... You know, it's either it's either a nice moment, or Ian's just been like, "Don't talk to me, talk to him." Yeah, I don't want to be killed. <laughs> I don't want to have you and your mates throw pebbles at me. Thanks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's you know we we do get that whole thing of saying you know the fire maker in his tribe is the least important because they can all do it. Mm. They can all make fire, and then you know the fire lights up and Zars all happy about it. Um. And basically, there's not a lot. Well, they have a little, there's a little bit of a fight scene, isn't there? Because the sun comes up and the tribe are having a bit of a bit of a conflap about it all. And then Cal comes in, kills the guard that's uh, tending, that's guarding the back door to the cave of skulls. And then we just basically have a weird standoff between Cal and Zar. Cal burns his hand on the fire. Yeah. And then we get we get oh. like a, we get a firelight fight between Cal and Zar. The fight seems fantastic for me, but for all the wrong reasons, because it's <laughs> yeah. the, the bit of cave they're in when Cal and Zar start fighting. You've still got the Doctor, Ian, Susan and Barbara in that part as well. And it's not a big space. So they're kind of having to go around everybody as they're starting their fight before they find a little bit of a bit of cave tucked away to actually scrap elsewhere. And then it's, as it's they're like fighting, watching, It's like watching wrestlers who are used to work in a, who used to working in a 20 foot ring. Yes. Having to drop down to a 14 foot ring. Yeah. But they've still insisted on having a 30 person Royal Rumble. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. And whilst the fight is going on, we're getting cuts to the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Susan's faces reacting to this fight. And it's it's as bad as it sounds. It's as bad as the the running away and getting hit by bits of a hedge and so on. It's very, um, it's sub rocky standards of, Mm. uh, of, of face pulling. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's funny. But eventually, Zar kicks Cal in the face and chokes him before caving his skull in with a big rock. Fantastic family entertainment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get uh, Zar, obviously. You know, Cal's gone, as you said, Dan. Zar shows the tribe fire. And he's, decided he's still not going to let the Doctor and his companions go, though. Zar wants to join tribes for the Doctor's lot. Susan yeah. puts fire through a skull, and then Ian has an idea to die somehow, pretend they're dead. Yeah, it's like faking the deaths, but 
he says faking the death, and then what they actually do is put skulls on sticks and light the torches inside the skulls to freak out the tribe, mm. which makes perfect sense. And then they sneak out as the tribe are thinking, what is this omen? You know, what's going on? Whose skulls are these? And they just make a run for the TARDIS. Zar figures out, figures out it's a trick, chases, and Barbara falls down again. God damn it, Barbara. She needs to sort out her fucking footwear, I think. Yeah, I don't think I don't think she uh, she expected to be running for her life across you know in, in jungle and across sand, so it was oh. probably hard to pick appropriate footwear. Yeah, uh, we I get things a lack of preparation, mate. You know, we, we get plan, more plan pre- for every occasion. <laughs> 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 we get more leaf slapping as they get back to the TARDIS, and the tribe are throwing spears, and it was actually quite good. The throwing the spears as the TARDIS dematerializes. Mm. I thought that was really good effect for the uh, for the time period. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But they 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 basically back at the TARDIS, they've got away. The TARDIS disappears, uh, and then the Doctor is not taking Barbara Ellen home because he can't actually fly the TARDIS properly. He can't direct it to where it needs to be. He doesn't he doesn't have sufficient data to pilot it accurately. Yes. So uh, he says. Indeed. And then we see, I suppose, uh, a really, really good cliffhanger, I guess, in a way. The TARDIS materializes on a dead planet, which we know later on to be Scarrow. Mm-hmm. But at this point, they're standing on another dead planet. The Doctor and Ian... Uh, to me, you get quite a bit of information about next week's show here. It's not just a little tiny cliffhanger, what will happen, music hits. They're discussing going outside. They're having full-on conversations in this cliffhanger. And yeah. then Doctor mentions the radiation levels look normal, don't they, Susan? Susan checks the very well-made cardboard dial. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> It says normal, so they all decide to go outside. She turns around, and her timing is shocking here because the moment she turns around, it goes into the red, and it's dangerous, and that's when the music hits. But what a great cliffhanger! Like you say, oh. they've had, they've kind of you know they've had the the drama and the the, the suspense of they're going to make it back to the TARDIS, you know the spear's been thrown and all the rest of it, and then they think they're safe, but then they've had the drama of you know the lost. I thought, right, we're going to go explore. It's all fine. And then, boom, radiation. So, you know, this is around about the time, 60s. Oh, so I'm just trying to think. Nuclear power is still not really sort of very widespread. It's mm-hmm. still a bit of a, an unknown quantity for the vast majority of people. So the no nuclear means radiation. And radiation is bad, obviously. But, yes, yeah, it really, really nice. It almost makes the bullshit worth it to have that kind of cliffhanger. It's you've gone through it, but you, at least next week looks exciting. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there about uh, the sort of radiation aspects and, and so on. You got to think the Cuban missile crisis was 62. Yeah. And that was all to do with nuclear was, weapons. Was that nuclear warheads? Yeah, I think so. And that was a big deal, wasn't it? People were terrified of what could happen. So radiation levels would have been oh shit it would have been quite prominent on people's minds potentially i guess yeah quite possibly quite possible i don't know enough about that period in history to uh mm. to be that to sort of see on that one to be honest so i mean i would recommend you know just looking it up on like i don't know if you've got you got sky or, or cable at home going mm. on one of the history channels but what i discovered the other day scanning through the history channels and, and what's on is that all they teach us is aliens might be real and the nazis were pretty bad that's kind of all we get from the history channel so I mean, both te- both true yeah there we go 
and there's your weekly mention of Nazis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. Oh, look at that. It's almost <laughs> like I meant to do that. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've known you long enough now that I know nothing you do is on purpose. No, not at all, mate. I'm just incredibly lucky and fluky. Right. So that basically that that concludes the very first Doctor Who story. Dan, in summary, what are your thoughts? First episode, iconic, brilliant, lovely bit of television. Very happy to watch it and you know keep watching it every so often and just sort of look back to the roots of, of a show I absolutely love. Uh, the next three episodes are very drawn out and it's uh, it's all just caveman politics and running in circles. Mm. It's not great, to be honest. It, it, no. it might have been good at the time. You know, because, you know, I watch these back to back to back to back. So if I'd have been watching them week to week, it might have, you know, had a week to digest and, and you know, forget certain aspects maybe. You know, maybe the binging doesn't help. But I might be being a bit generous in that, you know, in that line of thinking. So first one, absolutely watch it. Next three, you could probably skip the middle two episodes, to be fair, and just watch episode four. Mm. And you wouldn't really miss much, unfortunately, apart from, you know, a bit of the sort of building up of the relationship between the dots, pretty much the doctor and Ian, if you want to see more bickering. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much second everything you say there. The first episode's iconic, fantastic. I would watch that again and again. I would probably go one step further and say, you don't really need to watch the next three episodes. I think you can skip all of them and go straight into when they land on Scarrow and we see the Daleks for the first time. That's, that's what I personally would recommend for somebody who hasn't watched any classic who, especially because classic who to me, you can watch classic who and it's Tom Baker. It's Peter Davidson. It's different to classic who with Hartnell and Triton because mm. obviously time has passed. So if you want to go back to the very, very beginning and experience classic who uh, and Hartnell and so on, and you want to start as early as possible, I'd recommend the first episode. I say you could skip the next three and go straight into when, when we see the Daleks for the first time, to be fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I could go along with that. Um, but I can say I've seen it all now. I've seen the very first serial, and that's, you know, that's a, it's a tick in the box, which I'm quite yeah. happy about. And sorry, I, I did note something else down there because I didn't see uh, see the name crop up. But there's a character called Shadow in this who I don't think was ever named. Uh, but Shadow was played by Leslie Bates, who, much like Reg Cranfield from before, uh, was one of the original sort of unsung heroes, uh, worked, for Doctor Who, worked on Doctor Who over 13 years and had 19 uncredited roles. Why? I wonder if he was like a Cyberman and a Dalek and stuff. Yeah, it, it was all that sort of thing, or just, you know, guy in background and, and yeah. things like that, working as an extra here and there, or maybe really? having a line now and again. But yeah, 13 years, 19 rules. Oh, man, I love it. I love that stuff. That's great. Uh, so then, you mentioned seeing these episodes as ticked a box for you. What box are we ticking next week, Dan? Where are we going next oh, week? Next week, we're ticking a good box. We're ticking a very good box. Um, we're going to, for our sort of final pick, shall we say, of episodes this season, uh, we're doing the Five Doctors special. We did the Three yes. Doctors earlier in the series. We're doing the Five Doctors this time. This is one I'm a bit more familiar with. I've watched it a couple of times, although not in the past. I think not for about three years. Okay. I don't think I've watched it. So it's enough time to forget bits and pieces. 
uh, but very much looking forward to getting into that. And it's one that actually both Gary uh, and Matt, who we've had on as guests this series, both asked if they could be involved in. And we said no, because we want to we want to do it all to ourselves. So. <laughs> it's one of those uh, it's one of those videotapes I got bought that particular Christmas when I was, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe along with SummerSlam 89. I had the five doctors on VHS the same Christmas. So it's one I've seen numerous times looking forward to it. And as you mentioned, this is the last that will be sorry the last kind of pick or the last story for this season of the doctor who pod we've run out of doctors we've covered them all uh the five doctors special is going to close the series after that though we're going to have our normal kind of season wrap up our countdown of well but basically placing all the stories we've covered in our order of preference as we did with season one and we're going to give you a bit of news about what's going on with with season three as well yeah dan very quickly then my friend so we can get out of here do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online yeah you can find me on twitter at dangriffin21 usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's at least six weeks out of date and movies that are 25 years out of date uh, you can hear me on unbooking the territory which can be found at utt podcast where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling and our side project unbooking the tankatory is available on Twitter at UTT Tank, uh, where we look at the life and times, the trials and tribulations of the in-ring career of one David Tank Abbott, one of the legitimately the hardest men to ever live. It's uh, it's very much a niche within a niche within a niche, but we've had uh, get great entertainment from it, and it's been an absolute joy going back and actually appreciating WCW two thousand. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. I love it, man. I love it. Uh, you can follow me. Well, nobody wants to follow me. You can follow the network online at <laughs> SJP World Media, where this show has a home. The waiting room is coming back very soon to coincide with the return of Quantum Leap itself, uh, the reboot, follow on, etc. We're going to be intrigued. We're going to cover the new series as well as carrying on with our look back at the old series, Benny Mac and I. Loads of wrestling content as well from myself, from Benny Mac, from our friends in the States at regularly scheduled hostilities, all sorts of stuff going on. Make sure you're following the network at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And most importantly, you can follow this show at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod. Dan, I will speak to you next week, my friend, for our final story of our second season. Can't wait, mate. Looking forward to it already. I'll speak to you soon, bud. No worries. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I don't have anything clever to tack on, so dingleberries. And the doctor arrives. Well, no, first of all, they go- it doesn't arrive. When, it doesn't arrive when they're in the car. He arrives when no, the, he arrives sorry. when they're snooping around. Yeah, we'll have to redo that bit because I clicked on the wrong thing and shrunk my notes down. I had to resize them again. Now I can't see what I've written. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, it's terrible! It's terrible when something you wanted to use shrinks down and you've got to size it up again. It is, mate. It's absolutely shocking. Yeah, I basically skipped about five lines. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Back at the uh, j- junkyard, Barbara and Ian are sat in the